Welcome to the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast, your source for helping you dominate and insulate your growing practice through two pillars of success, systems and marketing. And now here's your host, Dr. Peter Bolden. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm pretty excited here for our next guest, Dr. Mark Costas. Many of you guys will know him or know his name. He's actually been one of my main inspirations for me to wanting to jump into podcasting. Mark, I have to say I've been, I've, I've consumed almost every podcast that you've kind of created. <laughs> I consider you a friend and a mentor. And I honestly, honestly get blown away by how much you have when I, when I listen to your podcast, hear how much you have on your plate and how much you get done regularly. Like listen to this. So Mark currently went from running two practices to five just this year. And, and Mark, by the end of 2016, you'll have kind of nine practices in total. Is that right? Well, we have two in escrow right now, and two in escrow. We, are, we have two offers out. We don't, they're not accepted offers yet, so uh, okay. seven, 100% sure there, there, there will be seven, wow. um, potentially nine by the end by of the end year. year. Wow. You run the Horizons Dental School's assisting school, and how many franchise locations do you have with that? It's a license, oh. um, not, not an official franchise. We have 170 so far. Holy cow. Yeah, there's a lot of them out there, from coast to coast, from San Diego to Maine. Holy cow. Mark yeah. runs two successful dental podcasts. And we were just talking earlier before I hit the record that how much work goes into doing podcasting. And, and you have two that are just, you know, have a lot of subscribers, Dentalpreneur and the six figure side gig. Mark's the founder of Dental Success Institute. And you have about 50 full time consulting clients. Yeah, we have about 50 clients in four. Let's see. We, we have clients in Europe, Canada. Australia, New Zealand, and the United States. So five five continents, I guess that is. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I, I is the summit you obviously do once a year, and I actually attended last year. And I have to say, if anyone's interested in going to that, I highly recommend it. It was it was awesome. It kind of blew my mind at every at every break. Just the content that I was consuming was awesome. Oh, thank you. Thanks and so obviously, much. you mark your your lecturer and and a speaker internationally. I know you just got back from what New Zealand. Um, but I guess that's where you had a, an international summit, right? Yeah, we had one in Auckland, New Zealand, and in Sydney, Australia. Yeah, and so we called it the international summit, but it was in, in those two two countries. It was, it was awesome. That's that's on my bucket list to to head out to New Zealand. I hear it's just an adventurous dream. It's got all sorts of stuff to do. Yeah, make sure before you go, we we exchange some ideas because oh man, I had such an incredible time there. It's one, it's heaven on earth, really. New Zealand is. If it didn't take so long to get to, you know. <laughs> I know it's so true. I brought my three boys and my wife, so. Well, um, that's the way to do it. I know you did it. You, you know, you kind of you parlayed it into a vacation as well, which is the only way, obviously, to do yeah. it when you're over there. So, yeah. um, so Mark, I have to say that every time I hear what you're up to on your podcast, literally, I have a self reflection with myself. I'm like, Bolden, you are <laughs> slacking. Don't complain. Look at how much Mark is doing. Like, get get your ass in gear. Like, let's go. And literally, like, I'm blown away by, by all that you have on your plate and, and balancing your life with three boys. And, you know, you've just got a ton going on, man. And really, I admire, admire you from, from a lot of perspectives. Well, thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate that. First of all, the very, very kind words. It's, uh, it's a labor of love. Everything that I do, I do because I enjoy it. My favorite thing in the world to do is to get up on stage and speak. And I think you have a, a big future in that, Peter, if you decide that's the direction you want to go. Um, I know that you love to go watch different speakers at dental conferences, but you have so much to add and you have a lot of information in that brain of yours that, that people would be 
really, really interested in learning more about. So I was really excited when you emailed me and let me know that you were going to be doing your own dental podcast. I think this is a great idea. I think you're qualified to do it, and I think you got a great story. So um, thanks for having me on. I'm really yeah, excited. Yeah, buddy. I'm excited to, to get into you know the talk, and it's going to be one of your favorite topics, which you discuss frequently on your podcast, which is expansion through acquisitions. Yeah. You actually helped me evaluate one that I actually did acquire this spring. And, you know, I reached out to you just because, you know, you have such experience in this field and, and you, how many practices you, you bought a number in your, give us the kind of the genesis of you bought and sold a number. And then is that right? Didn't you, didn't you, didn't you acquire a bunch? Cause you kind of got kind of burnt out, if you will. And then you said, and you didn't have the right systems in place and you kind of sold a bunch. Am I getting that story correct? Yeah. Yeah. So my first Let's see, for six years, no, for seven years of my career, I either started from scratch or acquired six dental practices. And um, at the time, you know, I was a very reactive CEO. And I, ta- I always talk about the difference between a reactive and a, and a proactive CEO. As a very reactive CEO, I was actually practicing at all of the different practices because I, I wanted to get to know the staff. And, and so I was traveling from practice to practice to practice all over the state of Arizona. And I burnt out. I burnt myself out. I did not have the right systems in place. So I was putting out fires all day long, every day. My phone was blowing up every day. I was doing 50 hours of clinical dentistry, plus all of the management that comes along with, you know, having not a single practice, but six at a time. So I kind of ran into this absolute exhaustion and a little bit of a kind of, I guess, breakdown. Burnout, um, yeah. Burnout and breakdown. Total yeah. burnout. Yeah. It was a, it was a physical and, and emotional, I guess. And Did you ever breakdown. just think about just throwing it all, like being like, I'm done, done with dentistry, just done and done. I can't do this anymore. Was I there probably that? thought that every single day for a couple of years, yeah. honestly. I think that's um, common. I don't think a lot of people, I don't think a lot of dentists will, you know, want to talk about that, but I think it's super common. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah, it is. I mean, I talked to dentists, from all over the world every day. And uh, that's a very, very common theme, Peter, is uh, just, you know, burnout and just not happy uh, with their profession, career dissatisfaction. And I think a lot of it comes down to lack of systems in your practice and, and lack of, you know, defining what it is you want your ideal life to look like. I completely um, so, yeah. agree with that. Like, you know, almost like you have to reverse engineer what you want it to be like, you know, begin with the end in mind and reverse engineer. Otherwise it will be engineered for you. Just not the way you may not want it to be. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's funny too, because I, I, forever I had this monetary goal in mind, you know, I had mm-hmm. this goal of, you know, netting a million dollars a year and I wanted to have this many practices and I wanted to have this much in my, in my uh, retirement account. I wanted to have this much cash in, in my bank account and once I achieved it all, it was just, it was a hollow victory because the rest of my life was a shambles, you know, because I hadn't, I hadn't thought through all the things that you just spoke about. So yeah, I sold four of the practices when I hit that wall, did very well because they were all debt free at, uh, by that point. And, uh, I just laid low with two practices for a while, tried a bunch of different other business ventures, including, uh, the Horizon Schools, which started with, a single dental assisting school up here in Prescott, Arizona. And the word just slowly started getting out. And then I started marketing it aggressively. And then we ended up just expanding and expanding and expanding. So our single uh, single school ended up kind of blowing up into this big, 
big company now, 170 locations. And then I started uh, DSI, which is the Dental Success Institute, my two podcasts. So coach, consultant, podcaster, dental assisting school, kind of licensee. And then I decided that uh, it was time to start acquiring practices again. I I started that uh, again this year. But the difference this time is that you're obviously, someone would say if they're listening, like you already did that. Why are you doing it? It caused chaos. Why are you doing it again? I think this this uh, kind of resonates with the fact that you have the systems in place to actually take care of that now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I could never, I would never want my life to look like it looked before. And I, I, I you know, I'm making it a very conscious decision not to repeat history. And it's not just for financial reasons, but I do believe that I honestly believe that for any profession out there, we are the luckiest in dentistry because of the tangible asset that we're able to, to, to produce. I talk all the time about our son's pediatrician that retired two years ago. She is the most popular pediatrician in town. Her husband was a general physician as well. So they shared this big building, this suite of, of, medical offices that was connected, 7,000 square feet, beautiful facility. She got to the end of her 30-year career and there was no buyer for her business because anybody can come in there as a pediatrician, hang up a shingle and be at capacity the next day because of the way that insurance companies work. So she walked away. He walked away at the same time. They, They retired at the same time, shut doors and put the building up for sale. And the only thing they have other than what they've saved over the years is whatever proceeds they get for either renting that building, which still sits vacant two years later, or selling it and making a little bit of money off of that. So we are so lucky that we have this tangible asset, this business asset that we can sell at the end of our careers. Or, you know, if we build multiple practices, we can, I guess, pretty predictably get a good return on that practice if we set it up correctly. I think it's much less risky than putting your money in, you know, the stock market or day trading or anything else like that. Totally. So, um, and you're what, in control. I, you're in, obviously yeah. you're in control of that versus like, you know, I have money with a, with, you know, an investment account and I don't, I don't know the guy who, you know, who's managing my money. I don't know him personally, but like, but when I invest in dentistry, like I'm in control of that. And that's why I agree with you. I, I like, I like that. So Mark, you've been acquiring practices for years. Is there something, you know, are there a couple of pearls that you've learned through buying and selling that if someone's interested in saying, Hey, I'm ready to either acquire a practice or expand my dental empire. Like there's, is there some advice that you would give someone kind of off the cuff? Like, Hey, these are things you need to look for. It's glamorous or not glamorous or whatever, you know, give me some insight. Yeah. So it depends on which perspective you're coming from. If you're a first time buyer, there's a a lot of different things that you have to consider. You have to consider demographics. You have to consider the, the strength of the practice, uh, the reputation of the practice, the, the, the physical location of the practice within the community. So you need the demographics. You know this, Peter, you did a great demographic research that research study that you sent over is just so complete and awesome. But, uh, you know, you, you need to know the demographics the history of the practice, the reputation of the practice, the location of the practice, um, the overhead of the practice, how active the hygiene department is and compared to uh, the active patient base. There's so many different right. things that you have to know as a first time. As purchaser. a first timer. And I think a lot of those two overlap with, you know, even if this is going to be a multiple or, or this is your multiple practice or an acquisition, because, you know, those are the same metrics that make all those things you were saying, I think overlap in, in either a first time buyer or say a seasoned buyer like yourself. 
Right. Yeah. And the only thing that I would say differently about somebody that's, I mean, you're looking for the same, just like you said, you're looking for the same exact things as a multiple practice owner. But what I see people do time and time again, a lot of them are my clients. They've, they've made this mistake prior to meeting me or they're about to make the mistake and I talk them out of it. And that is expanding before your flagship practice is exactly the way that it should be. Yeah. So, yep. And that's what I I wanted to actually talk about that. Actually, I want you to kind of, you know, expand on that because do you see people that are kind of in the, in the mindset of like, I want to expand yet their overhead is let's say 75% and they don't have systems in place and all that stuff. I mean, obviously you want to get your, and they're not at capacity with their own practice. Like do do you, is that someone that you would recommend? Hey, pump the brakes, do not buy this until you get your own house in order. I mean, do you agree with that? I couldn't agree more. I mean, if there's if there's a practice that you are showing up at at least 40 hours a week and you're surrounded by your team every single day, you are there to personally supervise, although you're probably doing dentistry most of the time, and you can't control your overhead and you can't stimulate the practice to generate more referrals or you can't acquire enough patients to, to increase production, then you need to do some work on your primary practice first. Because if you being there full time think that you're going to be able to do a better job at a practice that is remote and far away from your primary office, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. You have to be so tight in your flagship practice and have reproducible systems that you can transfer over to the satellite practice that are ironclad and perfect that you basically you could plug into this new practice and it will run as your flagship practice. So everything has to be darn near perfect at your flagship before you should even start considering multiple practice ownership. Yeah. I, I love how you talk about kind of the flagship model of it being, you know, almost like, almost like the model would be in a franchise situation, not to bring up that again, but like you, you know, you have to have everything in place that you can say, okay, let's hit replicate. Let's re- replicate. Right. And kind of scale mm-hmm. that one. So that, and then that has to be in order, just like you're saying, I, I totally, totally agree with that. Let me ask you, let me ask you this. Are you a fan of, of acquisitions or have you ever considered just brand expansion of your own, you know, primary flagship practice with the same, the same branding? Yeah, it's a great question. I've done it both ways. I've had, let's see, one, two, three, I've had four of the, when, let's see, I will have a total of 10 practices that I have owned by the end of this year because we sold four of them, 10 or 11. Of those, four have been scratch startups, and the rest have been acquisitions. And the startups think, were they individual? Sorry to interrupt. Were they individual no, no. branding? Mark were they like their own unique name, practice name for each? So you had four individual practice names, or no? Or were they brand no, extensions? Were all, these were all brand extensions, so they were all Horizon Dental Group and okay. the name. So, is that is that harder to do? You know, I hear some pros and cons versus that. You know, and I guess people can sit on both sides of the fence. I guess the pro when you when you have when you keep your existing name is that you get to piggyback on all your existing name, reputation, your marketing, right? But the con may be that that it's harder to separate and sell individually. Let's just say you wanted to peel off one of those practices because your books may be intertwined, your branding, you know, like yeah. Do you yeah, do you agree? So it's harder to sell later, maybe when you when you just do a brand expansion or brand extension and also you're vulnerable i think too by by legal actions and and reviews when you're under one umbrella right of a name you know your reputation management is a little more vulnerable so there's pros and cons i think to both scenarios 
Oh, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. The, the California practices, the two that we're going to have this year, are going to be the original brand uh, that that the doc, the selling doctor, mm-hmm. uh, because both selling doctors are staying. So we're going to keep their original brand because we don't want the patient base to you know to be alarmed if there's an exchange in ownership. So nobody's going to know the difference there. The one that we're doing in Phoenix is keeping their original name with the long-term doctor that's staying for three years as well. The four practices up here that I have in this area are branded simply because they are all personally owned by me. And I thought that it was the best way to go at the time. But you're right. There are pros and cons for sure. You know, you, you, I always say that the big flaw in this business that is, is if it's an associate run or you're working with partners, you're one sexual harassment claim or mm. one death in the chair away from, you know, complete financial ruin, really. Um, cause press can take you down. So if you're connected to five or six with the same name, you're, you're susceptible to that. I mean, you're at risk for that, for that to happen. But I do know that it depends on how you want to exit, right? I, I'm envisioning some sort of multiple practice roll up in the future because if you're going to sell one off, two off practices to either a private seller or to um, a, a corporate chain, you're not going to get as much money as you would if you sold in a group, a larger group to say a private equity or Wall Street company. Yeah, I, so, we could talk about this forever. And I want you to kind of expand on this because I, when you say the one or two off, you have to sell by kind of the traditional model of, let's say, 75% of collections or whatever it is, right? But you're sure. saying you're going for the roll up or kind of when you have a bigger empire that it's a, it's more of a multiple of your EBITDA. And I, you know, you know, that's, this is probably a whole other podcast conversation, but you get a bigger multiple for your profitability, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's funny because I don't know if you've noticed this since you've been shopping around for practices, but the traditional model, right? If you get 60 to 80% of your three-year collection average, mm-hmm. right? So say you have a million-dollar practice and you're in small-town USA, say a fair market value in that area is 65%. So you get $650,000 for that. And there, there's not a huge emphasis on looking at profitability a lot of times. They're just looking at that number. They're looking at the gross collections over three years and multiplying it by some percentage, right? Which is really um, a broken metric, right? I mean, I think that's what you're getting. Oh, yeah. Totally. Okay. Totally. Although nowadays the banks are getting more savvy and a lot of times they won't lend a hundred percent on a broken practice like that, or they won't lend at all on a practice that's got 90% overhead because they see that it's not cash flowing. So back in the day when money was basically free and they were handing it out to anybody that just graduated from dental school, you could qualify for a low $650,000 loan for a practice that was you know, a million dollar practice that had 90% overhead and the banks wouldn't even look twice at that. They'd say, sure. Yeah. It's, it's got revenue. We can, we can lend on that. Nowadays, they're a little bit more savvy, uh-huh. but what, what I was getting at was that a single practice sale through a broker to a single buyer, you're usually going to get 60, 80% of your three year average, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, of, of gross collections. If you're selling to a corporation, Heartland, it could be 85 to 100% of your three-year average, which is good. If you're selling a group of practices to private equity, you're looking at 10 to 15 times EBITDA. So what that means is if you have a million-dollar practice and you have 50% overhead, which is not that hard to do if you have good systems in place, 
the, the average in the United States is 68% to 72% overhead for a, for a private practice. So if you have a good practice that's profitable and you're, you're profiting $200,000 for that million dollar practice, you could be looking at a multiple of 10 to 15 times EBITDA for that practice, which would be 2 million Two and a half, yeah. To, wow. To, to three point five million for a million dollar practice. Now that's the difference between selling them to private equity versus selling them one at a time versus selling them one at a time to a corporation. So there's three. There's really three definitive ways to sell a practice nowadays that I can think of. You know, I've been told though we kind of from the from the venture capital or the bigger times multiple the roll up. You you have to be at a critical mass before you can attract any kind of attention, and that might be. Like you said, that may be one of your impetuses for trying to expand so that you right. can get to that, that, that level. And even if, like you said, I think you alluded to earlier, it's nice to have that option. Like one of my favorite books is called is built to sell. And I always tell people like, you know, build your company as if you're selling it, even though you have no intention to do it because you just never know what may, you know, your, your systems get tighter when you're thinking of selling your, your, you know, everything just gets, gets in better shape with kind of the built to sell model. So great. great. Yeah, yeah, great example. Yep. I think it's, I think, and, that, and that's kind of a buzzword right now. I'm sure people are talking to you about it a lot. You know, is, you know, you talk about how, how venture capital money is kind of going, going a little bit wild in dentistry because Wall Street has realized what a, what a good investment it, it can be in a well done place. So these multiples are kind of getting, getting crazy a little bit. They are. And I don't think it's going to last forever. So I, I think agree. what's happening is that uh, Wall Street is seeing that. Well, the default, the, the default rate on loans to professionals is only 1% for dentists. So 99% of dental debtors, mm-hmm. so dentists that borrow money for practices or equipment, 99% of those loans are good and they're paid off in full. Um, only 1% default. It seems like more because we all know somebody that's failed in one way or the other or, or, or filed for bankruptcy, but it's only 1%. That's what I hear from my banker friends. So Wall Street's realizing that there's, you know, if a practice is run well, you know, 20% profit is huge, right? Mm-hmm. 20% profit. And, and if they're, they're, they're willing to buy big chunks of practices for those kinds of returns, for half that return, they're willing to do that for 10% return. So I think that we are the darling. Dentistry is the darling of private equity right now. I don't think it will be forever. There's going to be something else that's going to be garnering their attention in the future. But for right now, it's dentistry. I don't know how long it's going to last. And it may be five years. It may be 15 years. I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball. But I do know that that's the most profitable way to, to exit your practice. Right. Yeah. I was going to ask you kind of, if you had to guess, would you say it would be, you know, I've been, I've been thinking, you know, probably a five year term is when they're going to, is when that will, that will get not so hot. But I mean, you said, you know, five to 15 years, if you had to guess, what would you say? I would say less than seven. Yeah. That, that has nothing to do with any scientific approach. Right. It's just a gut, just a gut feeling. (laughs) Disclosure, right? (laughs) Just because that's about the time that I would want to sell. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so so it works with Mark's timeline. That's good. That's right. Exactly. There's no science behind. There's no science behind that prognostication. Um, let me ask you too. We going back to the acquisitions and and the brandings. I think that's important, and that's something that I struggled with when I acquired a practice. Was you know, do I totally just change the name and rebrand? You know, how often are you doing that? I know that you said that you, I mentioned, you mentioned that in one of the acquisitions where the doctor was staying on. Obviously, you kept that same branding because you wanted to parlay that. So how often are you just saying, Hey, I'm acquiring the practice. I'm going to rebrand it. Does that happen 
often for you or? Yeah. And, and I, a lot of it has to do with the past reputation and, and the nature of the practice. I'm, I'm, I have a, I have an offer in on a practice that's, it's, I don't want to give away too many details, but it's fairly close to one of my other practices. So I'm looking to purchase the practice and absorb it into my current location, which is going to be your typical merger, right? But that practice has been limping along for several years because it's corporately owned, a failing corporate chain. They're stronger in the East Coast and they, they found that, um, it was harder to, to manage that practice from, from there in Florida, we're in Arizona. So they've been limping along for some time, but they have a consistent flow of, of collections, productions, and new patients. So that, that practice, because it was previously corporately owned, does not have a great reputation in town. So I'm going to buy that practice. I'm bringing the staff with me. I'm bringing the associate doctors with me into a new facility. So we're going to have the patient database. We're going to have the patient software, the practice software. We're going to have a brand new spiffy location, and we're going to contact all of the patients and say, hey, we're moving two blocks down the street, you know, same great doctors, same great service. So for the people that have stayed around and they're not unhappy with the practice, we get them. But for all the other people in the community, you know, we're still driving them via, via my other marketing methods into that, into my original location. So in that case, I definitely wanted to rebrand. Right. So, okay. So it varies. It just two, varies. There's not a, there's not a, there's not a, a, a templated way that, that you do it. It just varies upon condition. Exactly. And then the other two, they're beloved doctors that have been there for 20 years and they want to stay. Mm-hmm. So of course I'm not going to change, you know, the branding on those. I wouldn't want to spook the patient base for any reason at all. So, okay. yeah. Okay. You know, I gave I gave a talk recently to a, a dental school here, and, and they had some good questions. And so, obviously, a lot of them aren't just the debt. And I know you talk about that on your podcast. It, it's just crazy the amount of debt that these um, rising rising or graduating dental students are in. It kind of limits some choices, but there were some in the crowd that were kind of talking about. They were asking advice on you know what to look for when they were trying to evaluate an acquisition. And, mm-hmm. and what I'm asking, what I want to ask you is, is, is there something other than kind of what's on a P&L, just a, a, a metric that you look for that, you know, top line, you know, 30,000 foot view that you can look at real quick and say winner or loser without kind of looking at the P&L. Obviously, the P&L is a whole different evaluation, but is there something that you look for that you're like, all right, winner, loser? That's a great question. So, okay, I, I do believe that. And my, you know what? My, my perspective has changed because of necessity. When I was young and I uh, fresh out of dental school, I knew that um, I didn't have a whole lot of borrowing capacity. So I was very creative and I was looking for practices that were sale, for sale for under $250,000 because I didn't have the capital and I didn't have the borrowing ability. So I had a different target and that took a lot of elbow grease and it took a lot of TLC to get those things going to the million dollar range. And I, I did it. But I don't think I'd have the energy to do that nowadays. But for young for young dentists that are strapped, perhaps that is the target area. But the two fifty range, like you're you're saying, that target area is a cheaper practice and put in the sweat equity to build it up. Is that right? Okay, that, that's one option. However, like I said, I've changed my tune a bit. Mm-hmm. I kind of believe now that a better way to go is to find something that's generating seven fifty to a million dollars. And if you can, if you can qualify for that loan, that's proven to be a strong practice. And if you're looking from the 30,000 foot view, like you're talking about, 
you got to make sure that they're doing the same type of dentistry that you're going to enjoy doing. If you've never taken um, an implant course in your life and 70% of their revenue is coming from surgery and complex implant cases, you might want to think twice about that. Maybe you come on as an associate with a set price and have them mentor you into the surgical stuff. And then you purchase the practice. You know, if it's a CEREC practice and you've never, you know, worked with CEREC before or any number of different ways, any number of different things, you have to look at the type of dentistry that they're producing and make sure that that fits you. Um, you have to look and make sure that it's in a place that you wouldn't mind living. Now, a lot of the conventional wisdom right now is stay the heck out of the metropolitan areas because it's so saturated. And I totally agree with that. But at the same time, you have to at least be within a, a, a driving distance of a place that you could stand to live. Right. So there's a number of different things outside of the P&L that you have to consider. But uh, price is a big one. I nowadays, now that I have a little bit more borrowing ability and I'm a little bit more seasoned in this game, I think that it's a safer bet to buy a more expensive practice that has a, a good history of production collections and new patients. And good cash flow, obviously, to support that debt service. Right. Yep, exactly. so, so your sweet spot is is about 750 to a million is that what you're saying yeah i just did one for 1.2 so it was a lot a little bit outside of, mm-hmm. of of our range but then i just did another one for you know 500 which is a little bit below my range so it really just depends on if i if i like the doctor that's staying if i like the staff if i think that the demographics will lend to some growth and i, I think that there's some low-hanging fruit there for instance if they have a great big active patient base and 30% of that active patient base is active in hygiene. That's easy for me. Yeah. You go in there and send out some recall cards, get, get some, get some sweet sounding receptionists or some, some people to get on the telephone and, and get some of those people to schedule some of their recall um, appointments. That is just, I mean, that's, you could do that. You could turn that practice around in two weeks. So there's a, there's so many different factors that we look at when, uh, when we're looking for opportunity in, in, in practices that are either struggling or doing great. Is there more opportunity to grow even bigger? And that's, you know, that's a great point, you know, is you want to look at, you don't want to look at a practice that, you know, has no room for, for growth. And that's what I was telling the dental school is, you know, look for something that is potentially underperforming from a patient perspective. And, and I, I told them, I said, one of the biggest metrics that I look at is, is the, you know, the average annual production per patient per year, right? So you take your total number of patients, or, or revenue and divide that by total actives. And that gives you usually in the range of, well, in my experience, it was giving me kind of $300 per patient per year, which would, would, we would know that that's a pretty underperforming practice because there's a lot of bandwidth between 300 and kind of the maximum which insurance allows, which is, you know, 1200 to $1,500. Oh, that's brilliant. You know, brilliant. so it was, a, you know, so some of the ones I was looking at was, you know, when I was getting the 300s, I was saying, wow, they, they have a $300 per patient average annual production per patient per year. You know, they pretty much have zero online presence or total underperformance. And, and so I was saying, guys, the, the upside for these is, is, is just so, so good. And so I was telling, you know, I was advising these dental students that, you know, look for the upside, look for something that's stable that can support your debt service because you're going to have some, you know, your debts and student loan and you need good cash flow with the practice, but look for the upside in something that you digital, you digital, you know, you younger generation, these millennials almost can, can really jump in there and, and drive advertising and marketing in, in this digital digital world. Yeah, that's what I like about hanging out with you, Peter. That that is a great analysis. I never thought of that. And I've never heard anybody else talk about that per patient per year. And then you look at that the percentage that's a PPO patient. The average PPO has a 
has a maximum of fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars, and there's a huge opportunity there, right? Right. Especially, especially when you're looking at the percentage of that patient base that has PPO insurance that's not showing up for their recalls. It's like it's free. Just totally. get them to show up, and that's a lot, heck of a lot easier to do to market internally to the to the active patient base. Through and the cheapest, and the cheapest by and the cheapest and the most predictable, right? Totally. And it's just sitting there. In in the software, um, that's great. That that's a great great metric that you came up with. I, I wrote that down. Yeah, and you know, and that's thank you. And, and you know, that's a cool one. I, sometimes more, I looked at those even before I looked at the P and L, just because it was it was it was such a tell to me. Like, all right, upside, no upside, and I was able to be like next or whatever. But you know, there were some where there's you know after fifteen hundred dollars. You know, there's just no dentistry to be done. So that practice is they're they're selling it at their plateau or their peak. You know. Oh man, great, great way to look at things. Yeah, that's the other way, right? That's the other way to look at it. If it's fifteen hundred dollars and the, the vast majority of the people have PPO insurance in there, all the dentistry's been all done. All the dentistry, it's all <laughs> been done. There's no opportunity. Everything that you have to produce is not yet a member of the practice, right? They're not in the, within the walls of the practice yet. So you're going to have to go out and get them spend the money to get them and then max them out at $1,500 per patient. Right. Yep. So in a best case scenario, you can almost flatline and you can sustain that cash flow. (laughs) Great analysis. Dude, that is brilliant. I love that. Okay. Okay. I'm going to start using that. I'll give you full credit though. Man, I I like it. I appreciate that. I appreciate (laughs) that. You know, Mark, I really, that's, this is uh, we could, we could, I know you and I could keep talking and talking about this. I, you know, I, I think there's just some, some key nuggets that I, I appreciate us touching on tonight. Tell me about this in, in, in closing, tell me about the voices of dentistry meeting, you know, since I'm kind of new into podcasting and I've heard you talk about this and I think it looks like it's going to be an awesome, awesome meeting. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. Who knew, right? So I got into the podcast game a bit ago and there was, I don't know, there was less than 10 of us, maybe Mm -hmm. even probably less than that when I got into the game. So I've been in it for a while, which isn't even a while, right? It's, 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 this, this technology is moving so fast. Now there's like closing in on 40 dental podcasts and mm-hmm. so many of them are really, really good. Some of them are heavily clinically based. Some of them are business related. Some of them are hygiene related. Um, some of them are relationship and rapport building related. You know, it's, it's just very, very cool. You could, there's so many free resources out there, but my favorite is the podcast because you don't really necessarily have to be looking at anything. You can be driving instead of watching a YouTube video. You can be driving with your earbuds in. You could be doing the dishes or going for a run or working out at the gym. So you could fill your head 24 seven. You can never catch up now because there's so many, but you could fill your head 24 seven with really smart people that are talking about issues that you're facing every single day in your dental practice. And um, the leaders of the profession, I think nowadays, the, this new generation of leaders and influences, influencers in our profession are podcasters. So the guys from the dental hacks, Dr. Alan Mead and Dr. Jason Lipscomb and the snarky dentist, Dr. Sean Vandeviver and I were chatting one day and uh, we decided that it, 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 this is the time to assemble all of the highest profile dental podcast hosts in one place at an event where we could interact with our audiences. We could do live interviews. We could talk about whatever we wanted to talk about on stage. So we got about 20 dental podcasters, some of the bigger ones, uh, Gary Takish, Tarun Agarwal, the dental hacks. We have, um, 
Oh, geez, the, the list just goes on and on. I could go on forever. But there's about 20 of us that are presenting and many others that aren't presenting that are actually going to be there. And uh, we're just going to hang out in uh, – where are we going to be? Nashville, I think, right? And, thank you. <laughs> I, I, have, I have like four speaking engagements before that. So we're going to be hanging out in Nashville together. And, That's uh, a sign of a busy man right there. Where you don't know yeah. where you're speaking next. <laughs> I was speaking in Philadelphia, then Miami, then – oh, jeez. Anyway, but yeah, January 27th and 28th, there'll be about 17 CE units, both clinical and uh, business. Uh, it's going to be a great time. I'm, I'm really, really excited. Brilliant idea because it's totally like the digital, the digital age. And, you know, like you said about podcasting, you know, how, how it serves such value in your life is you totally can scale your dead time. Like, you know, you can just totally maximize your car ride. And, you know, that's where I use it. Yeah. You know, yeah. That's why I oft, often hear, hear you in, dripping in my ear. Um, oh, jeez, that's a scary thought. I'm in your head. <laughs> All right, man. I want to end with doing a little three speed round questions. You ready? Sure. Yeah, of course. Favorite book that you could recommend? Uh, I have two of them that I'm that I that are my favorites right now: Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink, mm-hmm. and The Ultimate Sales Machine. I know it sounds cheesy, but The Ultimate Sales Machine by Chet by Chet. Holmes. Chet Holmes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That book has been out for man. I don't mean to get into your speed round, but that is one of the best books I've ever read. I've read it three times. And it's still applicable like today, even though it's been published for what, how long? Like 10, 10 years. I don't uh, know how, I don't know when it was put out, but it's, it's still applicable today. I mean, it's, it's so awesome. Good. All right. So good. Sorry. I jumped in your speed run there, buddy. No problem. No problem. Give me, give me a productivity tool app or software that you use every day to maximize your time. Sounds so cheesy, but it's my, it's my iPhone calendar. I am booked out to the end of 2017 mm-hmm. and I'm looking at that thing every single day to see where I can squeeze in another podcast interview, where I can, where I can find time to go look at another practice. And, you know, before it was just an old day timer. So I would say for sure it's my iPhone calendar. Okay. And, and lastly, it's kind of a big question. Where do you see the future of dentistry? I know that's kind of an open-ended question, but you know, where do you see dentistry going? Do you say it's, see it staying in the kind of the golden era like you alluded to earlier or what, what, yeah. Tell me about what your thoughts are in the future of dentistry. I am optimistic about dentistry and I love, I'm glad that you're speaking at, at uh, dental schools as well. And I'm, I'm I, you know, I do those, I, I travel for free and I speak for free at dental schools because I believe it's my, it's my duty to, to pay back, yeah. but I'm optimistic about the profession of dentistry. And it's funny, this is counterintuitive, but I'm optimistic because the stakes are very high for these new young dentists that are graduating with four hundred and five hundred thousand dollars in debt. So they are going to figure out a way to be profitable and pay back their loans because they're intelligent people. And there are so many free resources out there nowadays that I have a feeling that they're going to figure it out. And there are they're going to be the next generation of very savvy business people. So I don't think there's any risk of the cottage industry of dentistry going away. These one off and two off. Uh, dental practice owners, because the stakes are high and these kids are going to either have to to all give in to corporate dentistry, which I don't believe is going to happen, or they're going to figure out how to be profitable and, and run a tight business and dental practice because of the amount of debt that they have and the, the holes that they have to, to crawl out of. So I'm optimistic. I, I like to hear that. I totally agree with you. And I think that's a great thing. You hear fear of, of corporate takeover is coming and it's going to take over every practice. And I, I totally agree with you that it will stay, that there will still be one off cottage, 
competition that will exist in perpetuity. In my opinion, I, I, I truly believe that too. So that's, that's, I like to hear that. So that's, that's great. All right, awesome. pal. I, I appreciate your time. You're a super busy man. You gave me, you gave me, let's see, almost 45 minutes and I know you're ready to go, go home for the day. It's pretty early there in Prescott, isn't it? Uh, well, yeah, it's a quarter to five. I'm leaving on a really early flight to Philly. I got a speaking engagement in Philadelphia tomorrow morning. So it's all good, man. All right. Well, you're the man. I appreciate your time, pal. And, and always, as, as always, it was good to talk to you. Thanks, Peter. Congratulations on the new podcast. Thanks, buddy. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to Bulletproof Dental Practice with your host, Dr. Peter Bolden, online at bulletproofdentalpractice.com. We'll catch you next time.